Welcome back. It has been a very, very long time, hasn't it? I'd like to be generous and call this the first episode of the second season of Lives of Adventure, but I feel like that would be uh, overly generous. So I will just call this massive break what it is, and that was a hiatus for a little more than a year. In that intervening year, uh, my family and I moved to Dublin, Ireland. We welcomed our third kid into the world, and then we moved back to the Italian Alps. So I'm back here in my office up in the attic speaking to you from the mountains, and we are going to have many more episodes to come. So this is the first in a uh, long line, hopefully that second season perhaps, uh, of really great guests. And today's guest is a good friend of mine, Dave Flanagan. Uh, Dave happens to be my brother-in-law's brother-in-law, my brother-in-law squared, as it were. And Dave has a really interesting job. Dave writes guidebooks. And he got into writing guidebooks in a very interesting way. And it's a brilliant conversation in a lot of ways because I feel like lots of people go through the same types of things that Dave went through uh, in kind of a career transition. But not many people have the guts to actually turn it into a job that they love and change jobs and move into something completely different um, and find something that they really enjoy doing. So Dave and I talk about what his job is, uh, which is writing guidebooks. We talk about the ups and downs of writing guidebooks and what's great and what's not so great about that. And we go into a little bit more detail about how Dave got into the outdoors and the outdoor pursuits in general. So It's a really fun episode. We kind of go all over the place and we go back and forwards and uh, talk about a lot of different things, but I hope you'll find it very interesting. Uh, Dave is a very funny guy, so that should at least keep you entertained. Um, And again, we'll have a bunch more episodes coming soon, so uh, keep your ears and eyes open and we'll talk to you again soon. But for now, I will leave it at that and I will jump straight into it with Dave Flanagan. Welcome to the show, Dave. Thank you. This is the first episode that I've recorded sitting across from my interviewee, so that's a bit strange, uh, but I'm sure we'll get used to it. Yeah. And I think we have some interesting stuff to talk about. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully so. So we're sitting in Dublin, uh, where I have moved just recently, um, away from our, our lovely house in the Alps to Dublin, Ireland for about a year. And right now it's nice and sunny and cold, uh, good winter conditions, but uh, I have a feeling that the Irish winter is going to actually kick in and force here pretty soon. And it's just going to be wet and dark and hideous for months on end. Is that probably accurate, Dave? Yeah. Well, it's kind of bluebird day today. Nice bouldering weather. Maybe 10 years ago, we'd be out somewhere. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Not even sticky damp. It's just dry. Yeah. Yeah. For once. For once. So cool. Uh, I guess one of the places I wanted to start, and uh, you can maybe fill in the blanks for me here, because uh, we know each other quite well. Uh, you're sort of my brother-in-law's brother-in-law. Brother-in-law squared, yeah. Yeah, brother-in-law <laughs> squared. So um, that's us. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I heard about you years and years and years ago when we first met was that you had uh, this really good IT job. You were working for Ericsson and you, I guess, were offered redundancy or something and took it and then just never went back to work uh, in the classical <laughs> sense. <laughs> yeah. So we can start there and uh, see where that takes us. Yeah, well, um, so I left college and I did computer engineering and then I worked for 10 years as a software engineer in Ericsson. And in winter 2009, came into work one Thursday morning 
and we got an email at half nine saying meeting UCD in the big O'Reilly Hall in an hour. In and UCD, like yeah, the university? We were, we, were, we were a 10 minute walk from UCD. So we okay. got basically this last minute, everyone to this meeting. And I knew immediately something was up. So 300 of us went into the O'Reilly Hall. Everyone was sitting around and suddenly CEO of Ericsson walks in and everyone was like, uh-oh. <laughs> and he just stood up and said, I'm sorry, guys, all your jobs are gone. And the room was just like, it was amazing, actually, because the energy was just like, sucked out of the room people were crying and you know because Ericsson had a lot of people who'd been there like 20 plus years you right. know lifers and like couples who'd met right. there and all that right. kind of thing and to be honest I was like doing a little fist pump <laughs> 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 and immediately the the folks in the room just changed immediately all the questions were about what's the redundancy what's the package what's the package that's right. all I ever wanted to know so that was 2009 and I was I kept on for a while and I finished on the last day of that year and then on the 2nd of January, Hazel arrived. So my first child. Yeah. So I decided to take a bit of time off. You know, it was good timing, yeah, like yeah. just to help Jenny out. And while, as you know yourself, you're hanging around the house, but there's only so much you can do right. to make yourself useful. And I had been, for the last 10 years before that, I had been had run a website called The Short Span that was basically about bouldering in Ireland. And I was just trying to document that. And initially it was just the odd topo here and there. But that became, I started working on a PDF and that became bigger and bigger and bigger. And by 2009, it was like 120 pages. I remember that. Maybe, I don't know, 800 problems all over the country. And obviously there was no like paper guide at the time. So it kind of occurred to me that this was an opportunity to maybe do a guidebook, a print guide. And people had been saying to me for years and I was kind of like, I don't know why I was reluctant really, but I just, I suppose I felt it was a big job and. I also felt we were like still finding new stuff and it wasn't the right time, you know, because right. you don't if you wrote be, it all down, then you'd be just like, well, now it's stuck. <laughs> yeah. And you don't want to be like, oh, yeah, you know, here's the print guide, but it's missing like the main area that right. someone just found. So, right. so the timing was good in the terms of that I timed my hands and also like the rate of new stuff had kind of flat that curve flattened out a bit. So I like didn't have a clue, download, got in design just went at it and uh, it took, I suppose it took a year, but I was kind of at that stage going, oh, I don't really want to go back and be a software engineer. Like, to be honest, I can't really figure out how I swung that, you know, yeah. <laughs> that I was just like, uh, like I got a nice bit of redundancy. So that was a good padding. So there was no real, like, f- like real urgency right. financially. You weren't about to starve or anything. Yeah. And then. So my wife, Jenny, is a teacher. So again, she was going back and it was gifting us, you know, we still had long holidays and stuff. But uh, I did the book and it was great. I really enjoyed the process and it was very much learning as I went along. And I was asking a lot of people for advice and they're all very good. And, you know, it made mistakes, but nothing major. And it sold. It was never It was never going to be like a bestseller. It was always ultra niche. But uh, I intentionally, it's funny because I felt kind of bad about it because effectively it had been open source. Right. You know, I'd just been gathering. People have been great about sending me topos right. and photos. Right. And, you know, like little hand drawings in the post, you know, this kind of thing. And so I felt almost like, like I kind of like commercialized that then. So kind of to make myself feel a bit better, I, it was only 15 euro, which is a bargain. Yeah. So it's that was my kind of nod towards the the community, I suppose. And But it, it sold well. And then after that, 
I think I was just punting around for a while. I, I really want to, well, I suppose Jenny went back to work and I was minding Hazel then full time. So I was a right. stay at home dad then really. That right. was my, on my passport. That's what it would have said. And um, then I decided to do a Baldwin Essentials book. Yeah, I remember that book actually. Um, no, and okay. the, that took ages. So you're going to have to go through all like the full, uh, you know, the full library of oh, Dave books. Yeah, like, yeah, I, I can't even remember yeah, some of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that was really interesting. And um, again, like they always, I like to do a book in a year. Mm-hmm. To, no, it's hard to do it any quicker. And it's like, you don't want it to drag on. You just get sick of it. Right. You know? It's like studying for an exam. You just get to a point where I just want to get this thing yeah. done. And a year gives you a cycle of the seasons, which I think is nice as well, you know. So, you know, you do your field work in the summer and then you have a winter to just like knuckle down and lock yourself in a room and do your you do know, your writing and your details and, and all yeah, the rest of and it. All the yeah. Proofing yeah. And all that kind of thing. So let's jump backwards because yeah. uh people are gonna be like, What the how did he think that that was gonna be okay? Like how you know, and like you said, you had a bit of redundancy, you, you know, there was a bit of padding there. Uh yeah. Jenny was on maternity leave, you guys weren't gonna starve, but yeah deciding and, and like yes you ran the shorts band forever so yeah. you, you had a lot of the material yeah um you were the right guy for the job at the right time yeah but still that step is kind of okay i'm gonna write a book and it's gonna take me a year and i've got no experience in this whatsoever and i'm gonna produce the actual guidebook for ireland you know for bouldering in ireland yeah well like in terms of getting away with it i think in terms of my family i think i kind of slow rolled it and i slow rolled myself and i slow rolled my <laughs> wife because like i never set out it was never like the first book was a oh i'll just do this and that'll be you know that thing done and that'll be a tick in the box right. and you know i'd invested a lot of time in the whole bouldering thing so it was nice to have this like a physical embodiment right. of that right. you know um yeah, I guess I I like to kind of jump into things a bit, you know, and like printing a book is scary because, you know, it's not like a web page or something where you can just come back and tweak it. You're like that moment. I, me- I distinctly remember in the kitchen of the house I lived in when the, the first the advanced copies arrived. And right. Opened it up like my heart was like in my mouth for sure. And it was a great moment. It was really yeah. good, actually, just to flick through it. And the funny thing is you flick through it and. Once you haven't spelled your name wrong on the cover right. and it looks okay, like you just put it down and you don't want to look at it again. Because the more you look at it, the more you'll find potentially things. That, the more typos you know, or tiny, yeah, tiny little, little things details, maybe, or yeah. hopefully tiny little things, but they'll right. annoy you. But then you put it down and like you might pick it up six months later to look something up or something. Yeah. And it's just like it's someone else's book. You can look at it completely objectively. Wow. Like I was down uh, away with my family and someone had the Wild Atlantic Way book. Right. And I sat down and read it for half an hour. <laughs> and someone, my sister was like, are you reading your own book? And I was like, yeah, it's great. It's really good. That's brilliant. Like I honestly, you're just like kind of self-actualized away from it. It's just like it's gone. You know? Yeah. And uh, so it is interesting. But in terms of the technical things, you just figure it out. You right. Know? right. And doesn't act like I know design background. I know like marketing or distribution or any of that and that was all just figured out by asking people climbers who yeah. worked in that trade to just point you in the right direction right and how did you i mean did you know someone who knew someone in that field or was it just you just started asking around um, or looking in the back well, of guidebooks that you had in the shelf john cofield from uh, vertebrae graphics vertebrae pro- publishing pointed me at a distributor and talked to loads of people like john watson a scottish guy who produced yeah. the guide i just I'm I'm a terrible man for just firing someone randomly an email and just going, here, what's the story with this? You know, right. people tend to be pretty good at getting back yeah. to you, you know, and uh, but like, yeah, I 
no doubt, looking back on it now, I, I'm sure I made loads of mistakes. And I'm not big into, like, design design, if you know what I mean. Right. Like, I didn't spend, and I wouldn't spend days agonizing over what font to use or, you know, I, I wanted to, to, always the criteria was for it to look really good and, like, to be, like, it's a real cliche, and I'm loud to say it, but I'll say it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, the idea was to <laughs> inspire. Now you have to oh, say okay. it. <laughs> okay, I, so the coffee table angle is to inspire people and then it has to be like a working document. So it has to inform people. So there are my kind of two things. So like when I read a review the other time and someone go, oh, it's kind of like a coffee table book. Like I'm like, I always like to hear that. Yeah. But I also want people to be able to like, in the case of the Belgian guide, find a crack. Right. You know, because right. that was what I remember. Grimer, who uh, is a guy from Derry who works for the British Mountaineering Council making mm-hmm. guidebooks and he's made loads of brilliant guidebooks. And he said, no matter how it looks, if people can't get to the crack, they'll hate your book. Right. And it has to be the first thing. Right. So I, I hope. I hope. <laughs> Sometimes I see, you know, you see people in Glando with the guidebook and I'm always wandering around in the in wrong my head, direction. Like, with, it, with it like upside down on the wrong yeah. page, trying to just twisting it, trying to orient themselves. And I always kind of go, I always cringe a bit when I see someone using it. It's like, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think I did my best, but I'm going to revisit it maybe as well. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's a nice thing. You're right. Like, it's not a it's not a website where you can just infinitely tweak it and, and yeah. you know evolve it over time. Where you're kind of boiling the frog, you know, on the yeah. long time scale. Yeah, you do have to put out editions, and they have to like you know yeah. they can be markedly different from the previous edition. But at the same time, that's kind of a nice go back, revisit, kind of unactualize yourself from the book again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you enjoy the process, like I haven't been doing a lot of bouldering, so I'd like to update the guide. But almost as a way just to get out and do more bouldering, to be honest with you. So yeah. that's an interesting one. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe the because you said at the beginning, you ended up writing the bouldering guide book kind of because you were out doing a lot of bouldering. Mm. You had the information at hand. Um, you've now written several other guide books, you know, Wild Atlantic Way, uh, yeah. a Scrambling Guide, the Bouldering Essentials Guide yeah. is kind of very closely related to the bouldering guide. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you're currently working on a cycling guide. Yeah. So I think what I've done, like since I suppose Bouldering Essentials, I've just kind of ha- taken up a hobby and like wrote a book about that. Yeah. So um, like the book after Bouldering Essentials was I wrote a kind of select guide to rock climbing in Ireland. So it was kind of a best of. And that was actually, a uh, there was a guy called Calvin Torrance and... Oh, what's his name? The guy climbed Everest. I can't remember his name. Anyway, I'll come to me. Um, in 1984, they wrote a guide and it was a, a guide to the best of. Right. Because traditionally in Ireland, the areas have been quite, not small, but each one has been served by a guide and they don't get updated for like decades. Right. Because they're, they're look, small areas with small a small areas, population. And they always print too many. No one buys yeah. them and they just sit there. Um, so Calvin produced this guide and it was really, really nice, black and white, old school, but really nicely done. And I felt that Ireland needed that because there was a lot of good areas that didn't fit, good crags that didn't fit in areas or they maybe didn't justify a guide on their own. Okay. So they were never documented. And people, it's funny, even in like this digital age, people are still like, they love a book. A book really um, kind of validates something, you know, because anyone can throw up a web page or pdf or you know but something about that idea of it's in the book is you know there's a lot of uh, weight people place on that so i had been very much a boulder Mm -hmm. i'd done a bit of track climbing but i'd never been like no one would everyone would consider me a boulder so i kind of was like right i'm going to do a rock climbing guide 
So I had to like go and buy harness and buy, <laughs> like I had a rack and stuff, but I mean, I really started from like ground up. Were there knots on this rack or <laughs> <laughs> all nuts? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no just hexes. Cans. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, dust off my rack and kind of learn how to try climb again. And that took about a year and I was really lucky with the weather and partners and just all the stuff that was going on. So I had a year of full immersement in track climbing and that was like a reinvention as a track climber as such. And the output of that was uh, the Rock Climbing Ireland book. But uh, that was so really So it's just been great. kind of hobby to hobby in a sense. Uh, yeah, kind of yeah. Dust it off, pick it back up. Yeah, but um, it's funny then, like, you know, like when you're doing it not as an out and out hobby, there's always that bit of pressure, you know, like you'd be going to the crag and you'd be like, oh, I really want to get this route, but I want to get this photo. And, you know, it's... it. It's better than like having a real job, as I say, right. but you know, it does like some days, you know, you're just like, uh, you know, it feels just, like work. It, fe- it does feel like work. Yeah. And like the, but the, the rock climb guidebook was great to do. And I really like, it was great to just do a lot of track climbing for a whole year and go out to loads of crags and do loads of routes and like scale up and find, like immerse myself a bit in that before. Cause right. I'd, I'd always just been, um, you know, doing a little bit here and there, but never really getting any kind of flow with it. And it was really nice. And then the book I was really pleased with. It doesn't really seem to sell too well, but it definitely, I think, hopefully in the future, people will realize it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like a I do. <laughs> it's a sleeper. It'll yeah, be a totally, yeah. They'll be selling for hundreds yeah. of thousands uh, in several decades. Yeah, but definitely when I kind of announced that I was doing it, I think there was a lot of around the Irish climb scene, a lot of scratched heads going on. And like, What is Dave doing? <laughs> someone, even Steve McMullen, wrote a review for Irish Mount Log and he kind of like said like people were going, what the fuck is this guy doing? And I think people were probably a bit afraid, but I think the a bit of objectivity I had about it, you know, because yeah. like usually a, traditionally a guidebook in Ireland would be written by the person who developed the most routes in that area. Right. So they're like the least objective person. Right. And Which funny is kind of why Calvin probably wrote that first book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's funny, like suddenly all their routes are getting three stars and, you know, it's just, it's like the best way, for instance, to write directions to somewhere. You don't ask the person who's been there a thousand times. You ask the person who's been there once, you right. know, they have much better insight into right. just a fresh pair of eyes. But, uh, so I had that and that was good. And then... Now, wait a second. You said that people were afraid. Do you feel like people were afraid because, uh, their roots were going to get downgraded and downstarred and like, you know, kind of relegated to the, the scrap heap? Or was it that they were kind of just afraid and a bit I just skeptical think of change? It was just an unknown, unknown kind of, you know, it. it was just like, I suppose, A, I'd never done a like root climbing guidebook before and. You know, but I, I was aware of that and like I really, really relied on getting consensus and talking to people and like and my I was the editor. Like I wasn't like with the Baldwin guide, I kinda had a good bit of experience. I think of all the areas in the guidebook, I'd been to like ninety-six percent of them or something. Right. You know, I'd been ever and I had a kind of good overall view. Mm-hmm. So I think I was able to say, Oh, well, this place is better than this place, or you know, and kind of just to compare. Right. Um, but with the I was coming out of fresh with the track line, but also I talked like I'd post up on my blog and I'd say, thinking of including these, these routes in this place and you know, what do people think? And I got really good discussion about that. So, um, yeah, I don't see it. It's not my opinion because it, that'd be, I didn't know I wasn't experienced enough, you know? Right. So I talked to like all these higher climbers and the people who put up the routes and the odd time I kind of ignored their advice, <laughs> but, uh, but I, but that was, 
coming at an angle of the big picture, you know, right. like, because someone gives you advice and like, they don't care about your page count or they don't care about, you know, well, if you give X pages to this area, you have, you know, how right, are you going right, to balance right, it, you know? Right. So I was just trying to, to be aware of like the general kind of formula and then to feed in the input that people gave me. But, uh, so I did that and that was great. And then I decided to do a book. I, I saw on, I read a newspaper article about the Wild Atlantic Way, mm-hmm. which was this new thing in 2014. So I don't know, probably some of your listeners won't have a clue. Won't have a clue. Yeah. Do explain. So basically the West Coast of Ireland has always been a popular tourist destination. And in 2014, Board Fulcher, which are the Irish tourist board, decided to, I suppose, kind of commodify it. And they came up with this name, the Wild Atlantic Way. And it's two and a half thousand kilometer, basically driving route along the west coast of Ireland from top to bottom. And it's been a massive success. I mean, pretty stunning coastline. So, yeah, like, fair the, enough. like the raw material was there, but like, and all they really, the only tangible thing is that they added loads of signposts, but they put a huge amount of money. I remember, I think I read they were going to spend 10 million in a year on marketing. Right. And I remember thinking, hmm, that could be good. So, I got cracking on that book with a guy, Richard Cray from, from uh, Cork, who I'd dealt with a bit when I was doing the rock climbing guy book. And he's a great photographer. I need this great back catalogue of photos. He'd lived along the West Coast right. for ages. So uh, we decided to work together on it. And we did that in about a year. And like, it's kind of my, because it's, you're never going to make books, money from Irish climbing books. You know, right. you're never going to make a living, let's say. Right. Um, so this book was kind of like, I suppose, to break into the a place where publishing. I wouldn't have to get a real job, you know, right. if I could survive on that. And so it worked out pretty well. But I mean, it was re- we were really lucky because when we by the time we started, it wasn't that big a thing. And now it's huge. But the funny thing is, like, there's not really any competition for us in terms of a guy book the way we did it. Right. Like, I, I remember thinking, like, once we started that, I was just going to read an article in the paper, that Lonely Planet, where... Like, oh, next month there, Lonely Planet, uh, well, Atlantic Way book is out and that would be blown, I was blown out of the water. But uh, it turned out great. And that was kind of different. Like we divided up the two and a half thousand kilometers in half, basically, and just went out in the summer and like did like speed tourism, as I called it. Yeah. Just like visit a beach and scribble a few notes and then go to a castle and, you know, take a few photos. Right. Um, but that was cool. And like the interesting thing about it was like, you know, you think, you know, a place, Ireland's a small country, you know, and you think, yeah, I've been around, you know, I know. But like, there are still so many places that, uh, have to get back to. And, right. you know, like two and a half thousand kilometers is, is a, long it's a lot of coastline, you yeah. know, and there is, it's kind of like this fractal nature of it. You know, if you, the more you zoom in, the more there is to right. see like, and cause that was kind of the book we were trying to encourage people not to race around too much, you mm. know, because like in theory, you could probably drive that in, I don't know, five days or something. But yeah, we were could. kind of saying the idea with the book was to help people because there was a lot of photos and it was like to flick through it, whatever catches your eye and then focus in on that. But uh, it was re- that was interesting because it was the first time I'd collaborated with someone. Mm. And like Richard and I didn't know each other that well. And most mostly we were just, um, you know, working kind of remotely together using like Messenger right. or whatever to right. be bouncing things back and forth. But uh, he came up a few times and stayed in the house. And uh, it was really interesting to work with someone and uh, yeah, it was, it was very, it worked out very well. I think we had a few, uh, we didn't have any disagreements, but we definitely had a few discussions, a few, he was very disappointed when, do you know what a gannet is? No. 
Ganada is some type of seabird. Oh, okay, yeah. No, I, yeah. yeah. I've heard the name yeah. before. Yeah. But would you recognize one? You say, Not, no. Uh, no. No. So either no. would I. So I, so there were some pic- wildlife pictures and he was like, I say, no, you just send us on the captions for the photos. And there was, I had a few with question marks. Like there was one of like a fox or whatever, which I got, yeah, you yeah. know. <laughs> then there was other birds. And I was like, and I know he's into that kind of thing. So, and he just couldn't believe that I didn't know what a gannet was. And it was like, oh, come on. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know. But it's a big white bird. It's if that's like the worst disagreement you guys had. Well, that wasn't a disagreement. Book, that was just him. Like <laughs> that was him just thinking I was a real dub. Yeah. But there is another one. Because um, <laughs> he's, so I was the dub. If I was the dub, he was the culture, right? Right. So a culture is someone from, not from Dublin, basically. basically yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, what's the American equivalent? Like, not. I mean, a redneck or a Kind of yokel. Yeah, kinda, yokel. You know. Yeah. But uh, there was this, we were riding a little, 100 words on a little restaurant. It's this fancy pop-up restaurant in Connemara. And I had a seven-course tasting menu, right? Yeah. And Richard came back to me and said, oh, I think there's a typo there. That should be tasty menu. <laughs> Which I just thought was the most culty thing that's ever been said in the history of the world. But then I don't know what a gannet is. So uh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, which is probably more, which is a better life skill to have. Maybe the bird recognition. Yeah, possibly. Maybe yeah. not. Yeah. Maybe I know not. what Richard would say anyway. Sorry, yeah. Richard. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So you've kind of, you know, kind of pieced this together over, I mean, at this stage, nearly 10 years or so mm. uh, yeah. of writing book after book kind of, um, and not really making a hurry of it or not trying specifically to, you know, with maybe the exception of the wild Atlantic way, not specifically going like, okay, I'm going to do this cause it's going to make me some money or, you know, yeah. uh, you know, make me a living. Yeah. It's more just like you said, I want to find a hobby. I want to like, or I want to switch into this other thing that I've been kind of leaving lay dormant for a while and, and kind of rekindle yeah. it for a while. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess the, the, the question that I'd say I, that comes to my mind immediately and mm. probably is in the minds of more than a few people listening is, you know, is there, are you able to do that simply because, you know, it's been enough time that kind of the sales of the books have built to the point where you can, you know, earn a living from it? Or is it, you know, you're kind of, you're still sort of semi stay at home dad, uh, you know, your wife, Jenny works and, yeah. and that's kind of how it works. Uh, both probably at this stage in a funny kind of way. Um, I think I probably have enough for a living now, maybe industrial wage kind of thing, you know, not like big books. Cause it's funny cause people, uh, you know, like most of my books sell for 25 euros. So people yeah. are like, Oh my God, you sell a thousand books. That's 25 grand. But I mean, right. this, you know, you have yeah, to pay the margin out. is a little yeah, bit different. The margin is like the <laughs> distributors and everyone takes their bit. But, uh, so it's not quite like that, but, uh, yeah, I'm probably at a point, and like for for the majority of the seven years, I've been a, a stay at home dad, albeit to a wife. My wife's a teacher, so it's not like she's not working seventy hour weeks, and we still have summers and things. So, right, um, that's allowed me to work part time. Mm-hmm. So, I haven't been doing a full time at the moment. I am, funnily enough, because she's on a parental leave, and which is I'm supposed to be finishing a cycling book at the moment, and um, she comes back goes back to work in January. So it's been back and forth. Like You're on a deadline been, then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I try not to get too caught up in deadlines, you know, because, you know, I don't answer to anyone really. So, right. But then I also try not to let them slide. You know, there comes a point when you just want to get it done, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like an exam, you're, you just go, oh, I'll do an exam tomorrow just to get yeah, it out just of the get way. It yeah. <laughs> but you want it to be right as well. So it's balancing those two things. But uh, yeah, like you need a bit of 
reading, like you write a book, you don't, no one's going to pay you while you're writing a book. Right. You know, like you're not going to earn any money and it's deferred kind of. Yeah. And it's not the kind of book you're going to get an advance from a publishing company no. on. And even I, I know a friend uh, of my sister's friend who got a good, nice advance, but I mean, to be honest, you'd be better off spending the time working in McDonald's. Right. And like, that was off a big company, a big success, you know? Right. So like anyone, like well, fiction is different, but I mean, you know, you're not doing it for the money, yeah. you know? Um, but you do need some space to get up to speed and to get a book out there and get another book out there. And Yeah. Um, yeah, like I didn't ever want it to be too, I would never do, like you have to live with a book for a year. Yeah. And the subject matter. And if, you, if you're not into it, it's going to kill you. It'll yeah. almost kill you anyway, but it will kill you stone dead. You just yeah. won't finish the book. Right. right. Unless you're like ultra, ultra psyched on, you know, you're going to make a fortune or whatever, you know. Right. So like I decide to do, I suppose I've got more target in what I'm doing. I'm trying to broaden the scope of my books, but without, within, within the framework of what I enjoy doing with outdoorsy right. stuff. Yeah. So I decided to do a cycling book because there was, I'd want to do it for years and I was, I'd like, I was trying to line up someone, an author to write it and I just edited it. But uh, that fell through a few times and I just, last year I said, right, I'm going to do it. I'm a cyclist, I can cycle. So for the last year I've been doing cycling all around the country. I've done like 100 plus routes and um, it's like seven more to go. And so mm -hmm. I just, yeah, I just got a bike. I, Kona very kindly gave me a, a wonderful bike and I've been just going around cycling and not quite like full like or any of that like but uh and it's been great because I've seen like by the time the book is finished I've done everything not everything but like the vast majority of the good cycles around the whole of Ireland and I'm gonna put that bike in shed and never use it never again, look at it again. <laughs> yeah. because you know again it's like you have to enjoy the process and like like I was saying earlier when you're going out and you're like oh I want to get this photo here and you're you know and you're just thinking about the end result yeah. from the start. It's never, yeah. you have to be in the moment a bit. And like some, some days that was good and some days were bad, but, uh, uh, yeah, like, I think this has showed me a bit about my boundary of how hard it is to do something. You're not like, I like cycling. I don't love cycling. Right. You know, so, um, that can be tough. So I think that was a lesson learned, but, uh, and now it's just, you get to the point where you just want to get over the line because the worst case thing is that if you don't produce a book at the end, You've just used up all You've of this just, time and energy. A year, and, you yeah. know, um, it's not an option, you right? Know? So that's why you have to be sure when you, you know, you, you set off one of these leap. things. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. mental. Um, so let's change gears completely yeah. uh, for just a moment. Maybe we'll come back to the guidebooks and all the rest. But um, one of the things that uh, when I uh, first so this is all going to take a little while for the listeners to kind of catch up on. But, um, so our brother-in-law in common, uh, obviously my wife's brother. So my wife and Dave's families, uh, or my wife's family and Dave's family have gone way back in scouting. Uh, that's kind of how they know each other. They live in a similar area in Dublin, but you know, it's not like they all went to school together. Um, and scouting in Ireland has always struck me as something completely different than anywhere else in the world. Um, you know, I was in Boy Scouts for years in America. I've spent a lot of time with Canadian scouts. Um, now that we lived in Italy for a bunch, I've gotten the perspective of what Italian scouts look like. And 
to my mind, the Irish scouts are probably the ones that do it properly in the sense that it's low tech. Um, you know, it's a bunch of lads in tracksuits and bad backpacks and, you know, <laughs> horrible, like muck covered boots, uh, plodding around in the bog and going to these camps in the pouring rain and building huge fires and, you know, just playing around in the woods basically. Mm. And it's co-ed, which is pretty different from a lot of places in the world. I guess mm. the Italian scouts are co-ed. Um, the American scouts are not, uh, for sure. Yeah. Boy scouts, yeah. girl scouts, there are no, there's no in between. Um, and God help you if you don't fit either of those two molds. Yeah. So I guess just, you know, and then I, you know, over time you became more of a scout leader and kind of ran that scouting group that you guys grew up in. What, like, I guess, how did you get into that? Where did that come from? What is, you know, in your mind, what's the point of scouting? And, and like, it's okay if the answer is it was actually just a pain in the ass. I was thrown into it as a kid and yeah. dealt with it. <laughs> um, well, it all started, um, there's a guy called Leo, who mm-hmm. I think Jeff has met, who was a, a scout leader and he lived at the top of our my road where I grew up as a child. And a lot of the kids on the road were in Cubs. So I went along to Cubs and um, just went from there. I was quite into the, I was into the outdoors and like my dad would have brought me camping and that kind of thing. And I guess I always was super keen on the outdoors and then got through scouts and I was, wasn't mad into like the scouty aspects you know I, I don't think many kids really are like the badges and uniforms ah, you'd and be all surprised that. the Americans yeah. really love that stuff yeah. <laughs> I always think it's the leader of the wiener patrol you know that kind <laughs> yeah, of thing yeah. um so yeah and our group was not like one of these pseudo military kind of like the blue shirt catholic wing of you know we were fairly just yeah like Jeff saying just go out and do it not too too much marching and flags and all that kind of pomp. But uh, so I got really into it. And um, a lot of my I made friends with people who are still my friends now. So there was a kind of a very tight group. And then I stayed on as a leader. And actually, I'm still kind of a leader now. Are you yeah. still leading it? Yeah. So I'm, I'm the group leader, which is like I always say, it's like the chairman. I don't really do much. Right. But uh, you show up every quarter or something. And yeah. Do totally, a meeting yeah. And yeah. I like do the investors, shake the hands at the yeah. investor every yeah. year and then like disappear into the night. But uh, yeah. And the irony is I'm actually trying to kind of quit that. It's like I, I always say scouts, being a scout leader is like Hotel California. You can check out, but you can never leave. You know, yeah. it's very hard to yeah. actually make a clean <laughs> break from it. And uh, my daughter Hazel is about to start Cubs next year. So oh, now you're stuck. I think I'm probably left it too late now, but I don't know. It could go either way because I don't know. She's not going to want me around forever, you know. But uh, but yeah, it's interesting. You know, like over the years, like I've spent, I've put a lot of energy into it, mm-hmm. a huge amount, and I've got a massive amount out of it. And I guess that's why I feel that I can could keep putting energy back put into energy it. into it. And I yeah. feel a lot of uh, like I don't feel any loyalty to the organization, but it's just the very specific individuals that were involved when I was involved, you yeah. know, and, um, things have changed in scouts a lot. It's a lot more bureaucratic now. And it's a lot, the kids seem a lot more distracted. It's very hard to get them to focus. But the, the crucial thing about scouts, I suppose, is it's non-competitive. Right. And like nearly everything else kids do, it's, you know, it's some kind of competitive way. And like, once they get to teenagers, you know, it's like you're cut, you're not on the team and you're sitting on the bench. Right. Scouts very inclusive and we tend to get some of the more quirkier carriers. I always, right. It's like we say, you know, you hear people say climbing is for people who can't kick or throw a ball. You know, it's <laughs> yeah, like those yeah. people who aren't like conventionally sporty, you know. Right. And uh, like scouts attracts that as well. But I mean, also it offers a very fashionable 
product that's, you know, that's huge right now, which is the outdoors. Right. You know, like if a teenager or say a young teenager wants to learn map and compass, there's no art to learn to go wild camping or, mm-hmm. you know, to walk in hills or even do a bit of climbing. It's not very easy to get into that. Like maybe when you go to college, you can join a society or that's right. the usual way. So, you know, no one else offers that. Like there's no rival group to scouting, you know, it has this stranglehold. And I think that's part of one of the things I don't like about it. It's like this big traditional, like slow mu- moving bureaucratic kind of thing. And our group is very much like in isolation. We just do our own thing. And, you know, yeah, like we get all these edicts from above about, oh, we've changed uniform. You must do that. You must do this. And it's like, we're like, yeah, you know, we just kind of just scrape by in that sense. So, um, we've always had that kind of in- individualistic streak, I guess. Right. I mean, in a certain sense, I feel like that's what, and maybe that's that's why I think scouting in Ireland is so different, is maybe just the group you guys came up in has always been a little bit rogue. Yeah. Um, but like that, in my mind, is the good bit about it. It's like the one place where, like you said, it's not competitive in the traditional sense. Yeah. It's let's go out, let's push all of ourselves to do something that's new, that's maybe yeah. scary. Um let's not be afraid of the outdoors. Let's get used to being wet and cold. Yeah. Um, or hot and dry. If you live in another country, Yeah, not so much a problem. Yeah. Here. Not so much here, but, um, you know, it, it is one of those things that, you know, it almost in a sense forces some discomfort on these, uh, on kids, which yeah. I think is a good thing. Um, so I don't know, but even just life skills, like when, when it works, it really works. Like I remember, you know, we used to get the kids to do the shopping and like, I remember one camp, I, I, I took over as scout leader because, you know, we always have leadership shortages, you know. So I, I my job is I have to step in if there's a shortage. So we went on the first camp and I was like, OK, lads, Friday night, light the fire and you can cook your, I don't heat up your hot chocolate or whatever it was. And they were just so they never lit a fire before in their life. And I kind of gave them some guidance, but ultimately I left it up to them. And lo and behold, they didn't get any hot chocolate. So I woke up in the morning and I was like, <laughs> OK, lads, have another go, light the fire. And then eventually after about five hours, like one o'clock in the after- afternoon, they're like, okay, we've had our breakfast. And I was like, what? and they were saying, what should we do now? And I was like, well, you probably should get started on your dinner. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah at this but, stage. <laughs> so they really didn't have a clue. But then the, the next year at the same camp, I remember they were totally on it. And like, they're well able to do it. And just to do things like washing up, like kids don't do washing up. Kids don't go like 15 year olds don't plan a menu and shop and, you know, how many slices of bread is in a slice pan. Like it's real, it's like, the outdoor thing is one thing, but it's more just the, Basic the life, life skills, skills. Yeah. like and, and like being a leader, I think is a big thing. And, you know, not it's not even because it's not really peer based because you'll have people like 11 year olds with 15 year olds and even like that makes the 15 year olds feel very adult and grown up. And if you give them the responsibility to do it, like they're the important things, I think, in scouts and like the outdoors is a really good um, medium to do that in, you know, right. and it can give people a lifelong enjoyment of the outdoors, which they won't really get elsewhere unless their parent happens to be a climber or a walker right. or a paddler or whatever. So, right. yeah, it is great in theory. In theory, <laughs> in theory, without the bureaucratic machine. But I yeah. suppose to a certain degree, maybe you need that bureaucratic machine to to have something that you can kind of hang on the rest of the stuff. Yeah, maybe, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, to switch gears again pretty strongly, um, one of the things that uh, kind of going back to the original guidebook, the Bouldering in Ireland guidebook, um, and and I guess the short span, uh, you know, ahead of that, the short span was a website that ran for years. And is it still up? 
Yeah. Man. Yeah. Hanging oh in God. there. Yeah. Hanging in there. Um, but it, it really was the community for bouldering in an entire country, which is kind of mad, you know, coming from a country of 330 million or whatever, yeah. like a country of 4 million is kind of insane. Um, so it's fascinating to me that when I first arrived in Ireland, when I first got to know my wife, um, you know, you guys were the group that were finding all these new areas that were going out and actually discovering, cleaning, you know, climbing all the first ascents on these problems. Um, you know, there were a handful of really strong climbers. I don't think either of us fall into that category no, ever, definitely but, not. but there's a lot of people that just had that streak for let's get out and scrub it off. And even if we can't climb it, then someone else can, uh, and we can publicize it and get the people to come over and do that. Yeah. It was, it was one of those moments in history, I think, for maybe bouldering in Ireland that yeah. will maybe never be repeated or, or maybe I'm just talking through my ass and saying, you know, we had a Back great experience. In the day, yeah, kinda, exactly. yeah. Newspaper both ways and our yeah. feet uphill. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What's your take on that? Like, do you feel like it was a particular period? Is it different yeah. now? I kind of tongue in cheek call it a golden age. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Cause like the idea of, is it ever going to be repeated again? I guess if you charted the number of boulder problems, documented boulder problems in Ireland, there'd be this massive spike and then this kind of plateau. Right. So, um, that period of time was that massive spike and that like, you don't know what you don't know. So for all we know, there could be in Kerry, there could be these massive, huge plateau of like three square kilometers of just beautiful sandstone boulders. I mean, there could be, I don't think there is. I well, Not that I hope there isn't, but I'd like to find it if there was, but right. it's unlikely. So yeah. therefore, like we used to talk in terms of, oh, a new area. And now you hear us like talking in terms of a new problem, you know? Mm. So like, that's a golden age when you're finding new areas. Like there was a year 2003 where it's just like, it felt like we had the Midas touch. We just only climbed in new areas. And we used to, like, I think we developed like five areas that, 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 that one year. year. And we used to just go like Dermot and I, your brother-in-law, I remember we used to go every, I think Tuesday. He, he didn't have work and I used to bunk off work every Tuesday morning. And we did that <laughs> for eight weeks in a row. And I used to just rock into work looking real cash with my jacket over my shoulder pretending I'd just back from lunch, you know. Right. And we went to this place, Mole Hill, and just uh, for eight weeks in a row, we just climbed new problems. And it was just totally blank canvas. And it was... Th that close to Dublin? Like the Yeah, like 40 minute drive. And yeah, popped down. We got up early and popped down. And uh, it was just really cool, as you say, like cleaning stuff. And um, But that happened so many times. Like, there's definitely an element of looking back in the day and rose-tinted glasses and stuff. But... Uh, Oh, it was definitely a privilege. Like I remember yeah. walking into Glenmacnass, which is this kind of hanging valley up in the hills and it was a misty day and someone had, someone had been on a walk a few weeks before and they looked down into the valley and said, oh, it looks like there's some boulders, you should go up there. And we just walked in and it was just Full. like, just a boulder field. Yeah. And like, they weren't too clustered. They were just spread out just right. And it was just like, I remember letting out these whoops every time I came up yeah. to the boulder. It's just like everyone, it kept on coming and like, for uh, if you're into finding new problems that's what it's all about yeah. you know and like now like definitely I'd, in my head i have a massive list of problems to check out and clean and try but i don't have any areas you know so right. like yeah like because they said the golden age of alpinism was when they were doing like the first descent of the matterhorn and like it wasn't like the hardest route it was just get to the top find the areas right, you know so right and the golden um, age of yosemite is the same thing you know yeah like half like went down El yeah Cap went down for the, the lines time. of least resistance of yeah. the big faces and that yep. kind of thing so um yeah like it's great and like there's definitely so much to much more to do because like ireland the reality is 
Ireland's a small country, but mm-hmm. it's also the least densely populated country in Europe. And it's all clustered, all the populations clustered around Dublin. So like the Wicklow Mountains are, are just massive. Yeah, you know? so, and empty. It's yeah. shocking how empty they are yeah. and how close they are to Dublin. Yeah, exactly. Like 40 minute drive from the airport and you are in the middle of nowhere, the wind howling, like just remote. And uh, so I guess that was what got us into it and just roaming around the hills and really like, like you say, cleaning problems and just. I I remember being absolutely flabbergasted when I came to Ireland for the first time, you know, for then, you know, an extended period of time. So I was here about a year or so and it was, um, I just remember going out with you guys and this exact same situation, cleaning problems every single weekend and climbing some of the best granite anywhere that I'd ever touched, yeah. you know, hands down. Yeah. Uh, and just kind of being like, how does nobody know about this? Yeah. How does nobody know about this? Yeah. So it's, it, I think, you know, rose tinted glasses aside, mm-hmm. uh, my unbiased or semi objective perspective would say that it, it must've been some sort of golden age. Yeah. But also I think like the best problem you've ever done is inevitably one problem that's yours, like a first ascent or whatever. Right. There's a lot of emotional kind of attachment to that. And it's like, you know, I definitely added in problems to the guy that were like, probably didn't meet the standard, you know, right. but they were like some kind of like personal attachment, like whether I did the first ascent or found the area or whatever. Right. But uh, it's definitely about that. And like, it's quite a create like creative process. Like it's one thing going to the wall and figuring out a sequence on a problem, but like just looking at a piece of rock and kind of deciding where to go and how to climb it is, um, it's really cool. And I think, like there's a lot of boulders who are into that niche. Like yeah. it's a niche, but like it probably demands a lot of time. You know, that's why I can't do it at the moment much, but uh, it's the thing I miss most for sure. And like, I get tormented by the idea, like slowly, like I'd see a video on Facebook or a photo and it'd be someone who's done a problem that would be on inverted commas, my list of problems that I was like, shit, I really wanted to get back to that problem. And it's like, I know that the more time, like I'll never get them all done. Like there's right. lifetimes of like yeah. for a really good climber. And there's sometimes, like I remember there was one, someone did, this guy Philip Duke did recently and it was 7B and I was like, I was totally cool about him doing it because it was like, not that I had any ownership of it, but just that idea that like I didn't feel it slip through my fingers. Right. So it never would have yeah. been able to climb it. You know, it's like grand. You know? Yeah, fair It's enough. when someone does like a cool 6A plus that yeah. I'll be like really like, pissed shit. off. But it's going to happen, you know, because like there's too many, you know, I always joke that I must write down a list in case I get knocked down by a car. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So everybody knows where to go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You can share them out at the funeral or whatever. (laughs) Divvy them up, you know. There's a lottery. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Please do write that list down, actually. (laughs) I would love to have a few of those. Um, Yeah, it is one of those, um, you know, bouldering is a niche sport, but at the same time, there's something there is something creative and there's something kind of magical about it in the sense that it, it is actually probably more social than it is. Um, I mean, it's physically extremely strenuous. Like, you know, it, it's probably the cause of most climbing injuries, mm. you know, minor injuries that don't end up in, you know, people dying. Um, but it's, it is kind of more of a social thing, isn't it? Like you, you can either do it socially as a group or you can go out and do it you know, on your own, but it, it becomes kind of more of a meditation almost in that yeah. sense. Like I've done a lot of like in the latter half of my climbing career, um, inverted commas, I've been out on my own, just like one spacing out, you know, just wandering around. Um, but back in the day when we had a lot more free time, you know, we used to go around and we used to go great trips away um, down the country, you know, 
camping and camping at the boulders. Because the thing about bouldering in Ireland is all the climbing is in the nicest parts of the country. Yeah. Like, bouldering will take you to some really great places, you know, that are just that bit off the beaten track, but still really nice. And, like, that's about as much it is anything. If we were talking about grotty little overhanging walls in, in some urban park or something, you know, like, say, like, Dorky Quarry or somewhere, like, it'd be a different you're gonna relationship. Get hate, you're going to get hate it. mail for that one. Yeah, <laughs> I know. People, people. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, it was as much that, like you say, going out and having a crack and, like, just camping and, you know, because you can only boulder so many hours in the day. So right. it's a lot of, like, I don't know what you're doing the rest of the time, but just to be, spend time up in the hills with some of your pals and like have a fire and have a few beers and, you know, climb some rocks. It was, that was, you know, it was great. Look, uh, definitely in my point of view, I think all of our group looks back in that time, you know, we were young, we were free, you know, how could it not be the golden age, you know? No kids. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I wonder if we're going to come around to that cycle where the kids all get old enough that we can start like back into that and it's going to feel free again. Yeah, it'll be like the platinum age, you know, it'll be like the golden oldies going out like uh, (laughs) back in the day creaky guys oh god well we can hope yeah. <laughs> kids will be like kicking our asses <laughs> yeah that'll be true but that yeah. won't be so bad yeah no, we can do all the hard problems that yeah. are on the list and carry the pads <laughs> yeah yeah and carry the pads exactly <laughs> oh my back it's so sore <laughs> anything else you want to specifically mention when's the cycling book come out uh early spring yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah no i'm gonna get it done it'll be out soon and then yeah after that i think i've one more book in me is that it? What are you well, going to do after that? I never like to look too far ahead because, you know, you just can't. But I have an idea for another book. But then after that, I think like I've tapped it out. I don't know. Caving in Ireland. I don't know. <laughs> that sounds terrifying. I, yeah. Yeah. No I, no, I wouldn't do that. But uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe I'll. Oh, I want to write a Cold War thriller. A Cold War thriller. Yeah. So like John le Carre kind of. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that that's what I'm going to do. So. Yeah, that sounds tuned. fun. Yeah, yeah that good. sounds yeah. super fun. Sounds like torture. Uh, I'll write the screenplay. <laughs> yeah. Then we can retire. In yeah, like, no, you get you all know, the money there. No dice. <laughs> oh yeah, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to buy the rights off of you. Yeah, suppose, okay. So. Yeah. Oh well. All right. Well, listen, uh, Dave. Thanks so much for sitting around with me. No problem. My pleasure. Yeah, we will see each other all the freaking time because we live <laughs> down the street from each other. Yeah. See you in the school run tomorrow morning. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> see you, Dave. See ya. Thanks. So that's it. My conversation with Dave Flanagan. Now, I hope you guys all enjoyed the conversation. Uh, If you did, please give us a subscribe on whatever podcast system you are currently using. Um, You can also check us out on Instagram. I've been loading up tons of my old photos there, so uh, hopefully they're fun to look at. And I will also be announcing new guests there on Instagram and on our Facebook page. Thanks again, and I will see you again very soon.